Amen, indeed. Be finding your way to John. I'm going to be saying that a lot over the next year. Your Bibles are going to start falling open to John prayerfully. I hope you don't become tired or weary of John by the time we are finished with this beautiful, beautiful gospel. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13 will be our text this morning in a sermon entitled, Jesus, the True Light. The True Light. Light. Light comes from a variety of sources, one of which that I thought about often this week was one of my favorite sources of light, a star. I don't know if you've ever gone out and looked at a beautiful night sky in Milledgeville. Thankfully, there's not a lot of light pollution. You can go out and see so many different stars. But if you're a geek like me, you want to know how those stars work. I did a little bit of study this week on light and stars, specifically stars that supernova. You see a star that supernova, what's happening is there is a fuel source in the dead center of that star. And it's like any fuel source, it'll eventually burn out. And there's two forces at work within a star, the fuel source and gravity. And they keep this perfect balance. When that fuel source burns out, the gravity wins out and bursts forth sonic waves and makes this vast supernova. As I was thinking about light this week, I was thinking about those two forces at work, the fuel and gravity, and how for us as Christians, we know we're called to shine the light of Christ. That oftentimes, when we go to shine the light of Christ, our evangelism seems timid or weak. Sometimes we don't share Christ as we should. We're not like that supernova that burst out. You see, the fuel that often prevents us from sharing the light of Christ is, is our sin. Prayerfully, that sin is burning out more and more in our lives, and the gospel, that gravity force that's always there, always prevailing, will snuff out that sin in our life, that we can be a supernova, just a, a light reflecting that of Christ in this city, in our jobs, in our families, that we would burst forth with the love of Christ as the infant universe burst forth in light as God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that is the truth that we'll see in our text this morning, that we are called to be those lights, that true believers bear true witness that Jesus is the true light, that we're to operate like that supernova. If we were remembered back to last week, we remember the purpose of this entire gospel. It's evangelistic. John 20, 31, so that you may believe, this is John speaking, why he wrote this gospel. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's for those who don't know Christ. But for those who do, we have a purpose as well of reading this gospel, studying this gospel, abiding in this gospel week in and week out for nearly a year. We remember it comes from John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We'll read this gospel and be reminded of the gospel of how Christ wrapped himself in human flesh time and time again. Because that keeps us believing, that keeps us in Christ. Hearing the gospel is what opened up our hearts, and hearing the gospel is the thing, the very thing, that will take us home to him one day. So as we examine these verses this morning, would you join me in prayer? Would you join me in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to show you, first and foremost, are you in Christ does the true light of Christ abide within you? And Lord willing, God, to be praised if it does, to examine your gospel witness, truthfully, of how you advance the gospel. Father, thank you that we have every means to worship you. 
by. That you are the true light. And in you, we seek to be instructed this morning by your word, to be comforted where we need to be, to be challenged and equipped in the other areas we need to be. But Father, more than that, we pray that you would be glorified through the reading of your word, that we would leave here a changed people, that we would see the truth of our life in light of your gospel, that we are called to burst forth with your glory. Would you allow us to do this, not for this church's reputation, not for our own self-interest, but for your namesake. Father, we pray and ask all these things according to your will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we examine these verses, there will be three primary characters at play. We will examine the text and we will see a true witness followed by uh, the true light and finally true believers. So join me in reading of God's word. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The first truth that we learn is a truthful witness testimony is always the gospel because it alone produces saving faith. The gospel alone can produce saving faith. A true witness will only bring the gospel. As verse 6 says that this man John, this is not the Apostle John who wrote this gospel, but this is John the Baptist, that he was sent by God. The word sent is apostilo. It's where we get the office of apostle, a sent one. We hear of apostles often today, of people who would profess to be an apostle, but this is an office that has ceased as Christ has come and built on the foundation of the apostles, as we learned in Ephesians. But with that, each one of us are sent, are we not? We are sent, indeed. We are sent to share the gospel light, the truth of the gospel, first and foremost, in our immediate families. If you are a husband in your family worship, if you are a mother, Lord willing, as you have kids, as you are teaching and catechizing your kids, brothers and sisters, when you're reminding your siblings that they need the gospel, that they're falling short of the gospel, that they've sinned against you, how many of you guys have brothers and sisters that need to be reminded of that truth? A couple hands. There should be a lot more hands there. I have a sister who's 18 months older than me, and maybe she'll listen back to this and be reminded of all the good times. But we see this John the Baptist. A little bit of background of John the Baptist. Now, we will see this character over the next four weeks, so I will leave it to some of my fellow elders to give a little bit more thorough explanation as to not steal some of their thunder. But John the Baptist was a wild man. He was eating locusts and eating honey, wearing camel's fur. He was out in the wilderness professing the coming of the Christ, that he was a witness, as verse 7 says. He came as a witness to bear witness. The word witness here is lost in translation, the, the gravity, the bravado that's behind this word because It comes from the Greek word where we get the word martyr. It means to solemnly assert something often concerning grave matters of importance. That if you are a witness to something, you are staking your life on that claim. In the first century before they had DNA evidence and CSI type stuff, that's, if you watch so many of those shows, that's not realistic at all. But before they had that, they had testimony and witness. In Old Testament society, giving testimony as a witness was a formal process. Legal documents are still to this day signed by a witness. But then, in the case of a capital punishment, when someone was to be killed, the one who witnessed against the one that committed the murder would be the one to cast the first stone. You see, witnessing to something is truly a grave matter of importance. It's a solemn duty to witness to something. And as John was sent to witness to Christ, and as we are sent into the world to witness to Christ, it is a grave and solemn matter. 
And the Old Testament prophesied John's coming as a witness to Christ. He's a fulfillment of scripture. This is why he is so important that each one of the gospel narratives makes mention of John. He fulfilled Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Isaiah 4.3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John is testifying, he's bearing witness to what? We've said it here multiple times already. What do you bear witness to? You bear witness to many things. You bear witness to your favorite sports team. You bear witness to your family that you love them as you tell them so. You bear witness to the gospel as you call yourself a Christ follower as you're coming in this room this morning. We all bear witness. But if we are to be sent of God, we are to bear witness of the light. Last week taught us that the light was a spiritual metaphor for Christ of spiritual awakening of the gospel truth that we were dead in our trespasses and sin until the light came. If we were to put all of these together, this testimony, this witness, the gospel truth, we get that John was sent by God to be a witness. Even unto his death, he was martyred for his testimony. As we advance in John, we will see that very truth happened, that John was beheaded for this witness. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, is a famous church saying. If your faith is being grown in fertile soil, it's because there's men and women that have gone before you that have laid down their lives in witness to this light. We stand truly on the shoulders of those who conquered by the word of the Lamb, by the blood of their testimony, and not loving their life even unto death. This light is that Christ is the Messiah that all should believe in. Romans 10, 17 teaches that faith comes by hearing, and hearing that through the word of Christ. That's how you believed. Someone testified to you of this gospel truth that Christ was the light. If you are truly in Christ this morning, a true believer, it is because you heard the true witness that Christ is the true light. That is the only thing that opened your dead heart to Christ. I wonder, could it be said of me? Could it be said of you in verse 6 that I, that you are sent by God as a witness, bearing witness about the light? I've had the joy of, of doing street evangelism with some of our body to walk through our evangelistic ministry or our campus outreach of FAM get to have conversations with you over coffee, over lunch, of talking about your loved ones and your family that don't know Christ. Church, I know many of you understand that you are sent by God to share this light, to testify to this light, but isn't it so difficult at times? Isn't it seeming like the fuel that's burning within us is not the fuel of the gospel motivating us as that supernova to go out, but rather the sin that's within us is the fuel that is preventing us from going. Why do we fail to share this light? Why do we fail to see that we are sent by God? I would wager that more often than not, it's simply because we're not intentional. We're too easily distracted. For us that are not distracted, there's us that are easily discouraged when you have tried to share this light and someone has rejected you or you had that opportunity maybe you've been tabling and someone is walking by or street evangelism or you're like I was this week sitting outside and looking at the the guy doing landscaping and feeling an overwhelming sense to just go and share Christ with him and I cowered out we're fickle 
we're frail. But rest indeed, if you're truly in Christ, you will share. Because you can't help but share the best thing that has ever happened to you. That Christ indeed loves you. That Christ indeed died for you. At times, I wish we would cry out with that desperate need to share the gospel, like our young brother there. Sometimes we do. We feel remorse for not sharing. But I would encourage you not to stay there in that self-loathing, self-hating of opportunities that you've missed, but see it as yet another opportunity for faithfulness to go and boldly share because only the gospel message produces belief. Therefore, it alone is sufficient for salvation, your initial belief. It alone is sufficient for sanctification, your continued belief. And it alone is sufficient for your glorification, your perfected belief. True believers bear true witness that Jesus is the true light. Giving witness to any other message rather than the gospel as ultimate truth is like planting an apple seed, but waiting for the fruit to grow and forgetting that you didn't indeed plant an apple seed, but you planted a tear. Only, only the gospel seed can cause that tree to grow and for that fruit to bear but if we sow anything else besides this gospel message, we're sowing weeds and not the gospel truth. Only the gospel seed, nourished by the light of Christ and the watering of the Holy Spirit, will produce the fruit of believing, saving faith. That was the aim of John. That those that he would testify to would believe that Christ is the light. A true witness not only testifies to the gospel because it produces saving faith, but also, letter B, a truth, truthful witness humbly heralds. They are but a reflection of the light. A truthful witness humbly heralds. They are but a reflection of the light. Verse 8 teaches us this truth. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John, although one of the greatest of men, was nothing compared to the Son of Man. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John was great because the office that he held, he was the last prophet. After 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, he was given this office this wonderful office to introduce the Messiah, the Savior Jesus to the world. What a privilege that he got to introduce. What a privilege that you and I have that we are sent to introduce, to share Christ with so many. Do you believe it's your responsibility to reflect the light? Do you truly see yourself as only a reflection of the light? We're to humbly herald this truth. Scripture in Matthew 5, 16 would call us a city on a hill that we are to let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven, that we are a reflection of this light. Being a mere reflection should birth tremendous humility in us. John Calvin, speaking of this truth, said it this way, we never do any good, even in gospel witness, in which there is not some blemish. For someone like me, who's a perfectionist, which is an odd title for myself, because I do nothing perfect. So if you are like me, let yourself off the hook. In your gospel witness, you will never, never articulate, like I can't articulate that word. You will never articulate well enough. You'll stumble your way through, but you'll be carried along by the Holy Spirit because the word of Christ abides in you. And in that hour when you speak, it's not you that speak, but the spirit of your father that speaks in you is what Christ says to his disciples. 
Not only should this birth tremendous humility in us as we go and share this light of Christ, it also should birth tremendous confidence in our gospel witness. As you, as I am reflecting not my own light, but the light of Christ himself. Last week taught us that Christ is the light and the darkness, the power of this age, the rule, the realm of Satan has not overcome the light. We can have confidence as we go out and share the gospel truth because it is not up to how articulate we are. It's not up to how passionate we are in our sharing. It's not even up to our desire. It's up to the sovereign will of the Lord, the light that shines in the darkness. There will be fruit in your ministry. Your ministry may be your family. And praise the Lord, you can see when the Lord birthed fruit as your children came to faith or in your family as your, your sister or brother or uncle or cousin that you've been praying for has come to faith. There will be fruit in your ministry as you go into Georgia College students and you share the gospel boldly as you invite them into fam and have an intentional conversation with someone who doesn't know Christ and you boldly share This is not name it, claim it theology. This is a promise of God that he will bear fruit, not always unto salvation, that he alone can do that, but there will absolutely be fruit, if not in that person's life, absolutely in yours. And the joy that it brings, and the obedience and walking in obedience that it will bring, the security in Christ that you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you when you go to share the gospel and verse after verse comes to mind, verses you have not thought about or read in a long while, is evidence of Christ abiding in you. True believers bear true witness that Jesus is the true light. I'm not saying that if you're not bearing witness, you're not a true believer, but what I'm saying is over the course of your life, you will bear witness if you are truly in Christ. There's no need to be melancholy or afraid right now if you're not bearing witness perpetually and constantly. You just have need of encouragement. You just have need of reminder that this is your call. As mirrors only reflect that light wave which is projected into them. Catch that. Mirrors only project the light wave that is reflected into them. If there is no light, there is no reflection. Yet the brighter the light, the clearer the reflection is. That's why you can go into our bathroom right now where we don't have our overhead lights, and that's not mood lighting, I promise. That's church plant life. But that mirror only reflects a little bit of what is actually there. And for Some of you guys, I would say amen. Thank the Lord for that. Ouch. Still Vody Bauckham saying, I always say it wrong. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But the truth of the matter is, the brighter the light, the clearer the reflection. So if you seek to reflect Christ as the light, more clearly, be closer to the light. Abide in the light walk in Christ. But in the same way, if that mirror is dirty, you get a tainted reflection. Ensure that your mirror is clean. Walk in holiness, believer, to shine the light. But take heart that even though there may be blemishes in that mirror, the beauty of the light of Christ will shine. The biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that we have to be perfectly holy to share the holy truth of a holy God. And we are wholly inadequate to live a life that way. And we are wholly wrong if we live our life of evangelism waiting for that perfect moment to share. The perfect moment to share that Christ is crucified for the sin of his children is right now. Don't leave here today with someone on your heart and on your mind, and not call them, not reach out, not share this best truth that you have ever heard, that Christ is the true light. Christ indeed is the true light, is the truth that John teaches us in verses 9 through 11. 
The true gospel light is shown on everyone in the world without distinction, not without exception. The true gospel light is shown on everyone in the world without distinction, not without exception. Verse 9 teaches us this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. True light, not as if though there is a false light. This is not a comparison to John saying that John was a false light, but rather true light, the source, the genesis of all light. We have no light of ourselves, but that we reflect of Christ. The light gives light to everyone, verse 9 says. Now think with me. Can this mean universal salvation if light goes to all? Is that what John is trying to articulate here? Surely not. If that were the case, then everyone would be saved. There would be no need for hell. There would be no need for true repentance. There would be no need for the gospel that Christ died for sinners. Just as the sun's rays are capable of touching every ocean on earth, but are not designed by God to reach those ocean depths, so it is with the gospel. I'll say that again. The sun shines out, does it not? Does it not reach every ocean and shine on every ocean, but those rays do not penetrate down to the depths of the ocean? They're not designed to. The gospel goes out to all without distinction. It's not designed to save all without exception. John's point is the gospel was freely offered to whomever would believe. Whomever would believe. Paul agrees in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This gospel is not for a set social class. This gospel is not for just an ethnic group. This gospel is not for the uh, spiritually elite. This is to whomever will believe. Whomever. Is this not the truth that makes evangelism wholly necessary to testify about this light? It makes it necessary. Not all will have the light of Christ shown on them. Therefore, there are souls that will depart and die apart from Christ. Lord willing, that is no one in this room, but if the light of the gospel has not shown on you that you know that Christ has been crucified for your sins, you will depart from him for all eternity. But this truth means that there are billions of souls right now will not have the light of Christ shown on them unless we go. I would encourage each and every one of us to spend time in Romans 10 this week. Romans 10, specifically right around 9 and 10, to see the necessity of our gospel witness, of bearing witness to the light. You see, this truth that the gospel light is shown on all without distinction, not without exception, is also why evangelism can even be successful in the first place. So you know that your gospel witness is necessary, but would you not be all the more encouraged to go out if you knew that it can and will be successful as you go? It's the light of the gospel that saves, not anything of your own doing. A candle needs three things to keep burning, just like our gospel witness needs three things to keep burning. As you're going out and you're hoping that you'll be successful and your, your candle of your gospel witness is not being put out, you need three things, just like any candle. A candle needs oxygen, fuel, and heat. Really, any fire needs that. So your evangelism needs three things as well. It's the oxygen of the Holy Spirit breathing life into you and into those dry bones to whom you're sharing the gospel with. It's the fuel of Christ's word abiding in you that you will feed to those starving souls. And it's the warmth of God's love being poured out in your heart and through you to those whom God will save. Your gospel witness will be successful. What's holding you back? What's holding me back from going and sharing anything besides our flesh? Maybe a little bit of insecurity that we're going to look like a fool. Well, 
we already look like fools to the lost and dying world anyway, so take that off the table. What other excuse do I make? What other excuse do we make often? Surely I don't mean this in a legalistic, condemning way, but the truth of the matter is that Christ wrapped himself in human flesh, bore your iniquities on a cross, and was not just cut, but was pierced and brutally murdered to bring this witness of himself to you. And only thing that we really have to worry about today in our country is maybe someone saying mean words to us. I don't mean that to be anything besides the truth, no matter what it is, to be objective, to look at it, is not a little bit of scoffing or sneering of someone worth a soul if the Lord decides. Is it not worth you being able to lay your head down on your pillow at night knowing that you are a true believer bearing true witness about the true light and that you are faithfully loving your God and loving your neighbor as you share this gospel truth? This gospel goes out to all without distinction, not without exception. We must share. But also the true gospel light remains either unperceived or unreceived until God decides. Letter B, the true gospel light remains either unperceived or unreceived until God decides. We see this. Verse 10, he was in the world, that's Christ, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The world who could have known him as the creator and his Jewish kinsmen, who should have known him as Messiah, both rejected him. Romans 1 teaches us this truth, that creation itself, as we look out at the stars and a sunset and a mountain range and the deep seas and the roaring ocean and the beauty of trees and the livestock and we look at the majestic lion and we look at all of creation that God breathed out as we were taught last week is sufficient enough to teach us that there is a God. And even these Jewish kinsmen who had most of them... The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized that are full of uh, illusions and foreshadowings of Christ missed him. The gospel light truly does remain unperceived or unreceived until God decides. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul attests to that truth by saying, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinded. As if though eyes are put out. The illustration continues in Paul's other epistles. It's not only that blinded, but dead. Dead man cannot see. There is indeed, though, good news for that man or woman in that tribe, in that middle of nowhere that has never heard the gospel. Perhaps you've heard this argument. Well, if the gospel doesn't go out to all and it remains unperceived or unseen, how is God just in damning that man or that woman that has never heard the gospel? I've heard it said this way. The good news is that no one goes to hell for not hearing the gospel. Anyone departs from Christ because they are sinful. They have eternity in hell because of their sin. This is why we must go and be true believers, bearing true witness to the true light of Christ, because they need to hear. This message that we've become so accompanied to hearing that it, it, it kind of hits us like we have our defenses up and just reflects off us and bounces off us as like it's just yesterday's news is life-changing, is eternity-changing for men and women who have never heard this good news of Christ. The good news for them is that you and I know Christ and that he calls out from his flock in the local churches, men and women called to be sent ones to the nations, as we're sent to the city 
perhaps God is calling you to the nations to go, to share the gospel witness. If you're sharing the gospel witness here faithfully, and yet you're hitting a wall, I would ask you to pray and see if God is calling you to the nations. But don't think you're called to the nations if you won't share with your neighbor. We must share the gospel. Romans 1 teaches us that this unperceived gospel or this unreceived gospel is not just because their minds are blinded by Satan, as we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, but it's also God's doing. You ever seen a a mission trip t-shirt of Isaiah 6, whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord, send me. Keep reading. Send them until their ears were not here and their eyes are dulled and they do not see or perceive that God stops up the heart until he decides to open that heart by his Holy Spirit. But it's not only God's doing, it's not only Satan's doing, but it also, lest we feel like there's eternal forces at work and we have no role to play in if we're not in Christ. Romans 1 teaches us that in our unrighteousness that we suppress the truth. I would encourage you to read Romans 1 this week. Well, we'll read it now. I forgot I put it in my notes. Romans 1, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Apart from the magnificent, wonderful God-ordained opening of a heart. There is no reason salvation will occur. J.C. Ryle, speaking of these verses, says it this way of, of us who ever suppress the truth and unrighteousness or those who are not in Christ. Sodom's rejection of God's morality was not half so wicked as modern man's rejection of God's son. I'll say that one more time. Sodom's rejection of God's morality was not half so wicked as modern man's rejection of God's son. How was the true light of Christ shown to you? How did you first perceive it? Was not the true light of Christ heralded into your heart? Someone bore that truth to you, and God removed the veil from your eyes. He unstopped your ears, and he gave you a new heart that beat only for him. The preaching of the gospel removed the scales from your eyes. The hearing of the gospel was a sweet melody to your soul. The heralding of the gospel alone ripped out your heart that was nothing but stone and replaced it with a heart that beat for Christ. True believers bear true witness that Jesus is the true light. If it is not the true gospel, there would be no removing of this veil. If it is not the true gospel, the ears will remain stopped up. If it is not the true gospel, the heart can never be changed. This is why legalism cannot save. This is why moralism cannot save. This is why you're perpetually coming to church and feeling like it adds something to your salvation or reading your Bible or even as we're talking about, evangelizing does nothing to justify you before God. This is why we must go and share nothing but the gospel to see dead souls come to life. The moon projects no light of its own. It's completely unperceived in the sky. It's only visible when it reflects the sun beamed. There's times you could go out into Milledgeville here, and if you were to open a star app, you could see, well, the moon is right there, but I can't see it. 
It's completely unperceived to the naked eye. So it is with the gospel. Christ has always been there. In the beginning was the word. But until the light of the gospel of Christ shone into the hearts of dead men and women, the gospel was never perceived, although it was always there. This is why you can go and share the gospel truth in confidence, in humility. The third character that we see in our text this morning is of true believers. True believers. True believers in the gospel have been granted the privilege of being adopted by God. I did you guys a little bit of a favor there. I went ahead and didn't put a fill in the blank there, not on purpose, but on accident. So you will all have one fill in the blank right this week. Adopted by God. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 12 starts with but. It's a contrast between the unbelief seen in verses 10 and 11 and the belief seen in verses 12 and 13. As the world in his own did not receive or believe the light, so God's children, by contrast, do. But all who did receive him, all of those who Christ freely gave himself to and they received him, to all who believed in the coming of Christ in his name, it's an idiom for salvation, for faith that he's the Messiah. He gave the right, literally the Greek rendering here means a legal privilege. This is why it's right to understand that this is a passage of adoption. It's a legal process of which you, as a child of God, have been adopted. Adopted. Once dead, once blind, and now a son or daughter, to the best father, most loving creator, eternal king. Galatians 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I don't have the words to paint what a wonderful, what a beautiful privilege this is. You know the privileges that you have of being a child of your family. Unconditional love, prayerfully from your family. I know in my family I can get away with saying whatever I want because I say my parents are always going to love me. So I can be brutally honest. Maybe if you're still Landon and Lily's age, the privilege is chores. Maybe not a privilege you love. It is indeed a privilege that's training you in righteousness but to be adopted by God. Scripture said that we were not only alienated and strangers to him, but by nature we are children of wrath. We were enemies. Think of the person you have the most conflict with in the world right now. The person that has hurt you the most or you have hurt the most, and there's just tension. Imagine if that person has hurt you so tremendously and deeply, yet you were to invite them into your household as a family member. I can't think about how often I've let God down, how sinful I am, and how sinfully, perpetually we all are. But John will teach us this truth next week that he is full of grace and truth as he has adopted us in. J.I. Packer summarizes the gospel in three words. Adoption through propitiation. That we've been adopted by the death of Christ in our place. He goes on to say, I do not ever expect to find a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. God's righteous anger against sinners is fully satisfied by his righteous son's substitutionary death and vindicating resurrection. 
by divine grace as he absorbs God's wrath in our place. The Savior turns the Father's countenance towards us in full forgiveness. What wondrous reconciliation. Told you I didn't have the words, but Packer does. Adoption. Adoption. You're a true believer, truly adopted. You can bear true witness to this, that Christ is the true light that adopted you. Go and tell others about this adoption. If you've known a family that's walking through adoption, you know the joy that they have as they're walking through it and it comes to full realization. You probably get to see on Instagram a ton of people posting pictures with little emojis over people's faces. And when they get to actually post that full picture in the fullness of that face, of that joy, of that love, and the acceptance of that child, you get a sneak peek into your own heart of the gospel of God. Adoption. Adoption is at the core of the gospel. Calvin's theology of salvation has been dubbed the gospel of adoption. John Owen described adoption as the great fountain privilege of salvation in Christ. And John Murray labeled adoption the apex of grace and privilege. All of those quotes were too good to pick from, so I thought I would share them all with you. What is your best testimony to the light of Christ besides your adoption? Is there a better witness that you could give? Is there a better testimony that you could give to someone as you're sharing this gospel besides that you've been adopted through propitiation? If you needed just a simple sentence to share, I would encourage you to start working a framework around those three words and to share because your testimony is not your bearing your testimony. It's your testimony of what God did for you. A true gospel witness is the witness of the gospel's impact in your life. Yes, there is personal story to it. But the only thing that's going to open that heart is not for you to be more relatable or funny. It's to hear Christ adopting love. I would encourage you to see and to share this truth. True believers as the faces I'm looking at right now, as your true believers will bear true witness to this true light. This is why, although right now, what's happening in Afghanistan is absolutely a political disaster. It is an evangelistic opportunity. It's an opportunity for countless refugees to hear the gospel for those that were hanging on to doors of planes, coming to this country with nothing, it's my prayer that countless Christians would see that those are sojourners from their land just as we are sojourners here on this earth and that the gospel will be shared with them for countless missionaries that have and will be martyred to show the sufficiency of Christ as they lay down their lives. That their true witness, as as we saw that witness means to martyr, to literally lay down your life for the belief in that faith that is happening right now. And most relevant to this passage is those babies, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, being handed over the barbed wire fence into Bagram Airport because the parents know that it would be better for that child to be just over there than be here. It's my prayer that countless believers across the world will adopt in those children into Christ-loving families and have their stories forever intertwined with the gospel, knowing that they're adopted. That adoption doesn't just happen in the happy circumstances and situations, that oftentimes adoption happens in some of the deepest heartbreaks. You see that practically in life, but also in the gospel. When Christ crushed you over your sin, he adopted you. When you were broken, he adopted you in. And when the darkness seemed to be an ominous, pervading 
wave coming at you, Christ plucked you out and set your feet on solid rock and said, you're my son and you're my daughter. What an opportunity there is for the church to be the church there, for the church, for us to hear practically, we're not there, but practically we're one church with them, the universal church. I would encourage you to be in prayer for them. To not just see it as something else, as a news blip on the radar, not to just see it as something as political, but to look at it through the lens of the gospel. Finally, true believers, now children of God, were first regenerated, born of God, in accordance with God's will alone. Were first regenerated, born of God, in accordance with God's will alone. Verse 13 concludes by saying, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What do those three characterizations mean? Not of the blood, of the will of the flesh, the will of man, blood. It's not by heritage, by bloodline that you and I were not born into the kingdom because we're part of some great family, some great last name, we're royalty, but also not of the will of the flesh. This is your, this is my own moral activity. It's our spiritual effort. What does this mean? This means a prayer did not save us. A prayer did not make us children of God. And finally, the will of man. This is reference to a religious system or a man interceding for you. John was teaching to the Jewish people that the Levitical system was not enough to save them. It's applicable to the Catholic system of sacramentalism today, that that system cannot save you. And it's applicable to us in our Southern Bible Belt, um, do good, be better, work hard system. Cannot save us. If it's not by blood, the will of flesh and will of man, how are we then saved? By God. We're born again of God. We were theological term is regenerated. We were reborn. John 3, 3, forecasting here for maybe a couple months from now, but it's too good not to mention now. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, you can't be born of your own flesh. This is not of your own will. To be born again takes a work of God. This work of God of regeneration of the Holy Spirit saving you, giving you faith to believe and to pray that prayer was prophesied of. Ezekiel 37 in the valley of dry bones, symbolic of mankind dead in their trespasses and sin. Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves. What are in graves? Dead men and women. I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. He reiterates to show again the emphasis. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. This is reiterated in Jeremiah 31, that God will put his covenant in our hearts and that he will cause us to love him and keep his commandments. To be a child of God is such a, a privilege, and it is a miracle only done by God. Why is it good news that being born again is in accordance to God's will alone? Why is that good news? For some of us, we have not grown up with this teaching, and it may seem um, different to you, but let me encourage you, there is good news. If your will is not part of the equation, then your will is not part of the sustaining. If it took your will to save you, it takes your will to sustain you in your salvation. I've heard guys say, if we could lose our salvation, we would. So praise God that we didn't find it to begin with. Since your family legacy plays no part, your generational sin did not and does not disqualify you. If you are walking in generational sin, if you've seen a cycle of brokenness, of drug abuse or adultery or you name it, 
that doesn't disqualify you from the gospel. Christ alone qualifies you as he chooses you, as he gives you faith to believe, as he puts his spirit in you. And praise God that no system ultimately brought you to Christ because then that fallen system would be responsible for keeping you in Christ. Praise God that it's not any one of our three elders' responsibility to help you believe unto salvation, that is. We're there to encourage that belief because then it would be up to us to keep you. That means if I were to preach a motivating, invigorating sermon, convicting you of sin, and you believe you prayed a prayer and you were saved, then next week I've got to, got to top that. You see the cycle that we would be running into? You see the dead end that that leads to? True believers bear true witness that Jesus is the true light. Only the true light of the world shines in the darkness. And when that true light shines, the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome your salvation if he has saved you. Just as a candle cannot claim credit for its own flame, but owes it to the match, so neither we nor anyone else can claim credit for our rebirth. It was the will of God alone. Where do we go from here? That we're to be true believers bearing true witness to the true light of the gospel. We're to be that supernova. And our fuel is not to be that sin that's dwindling, that's causing us to implode on ourselves, to not explode out in sharing the gospel. But our fuel is to be the gospel, Christ. We're to invert those two forces. While gravity is perpetual and it's always there, your flesh, your sin will always be there until Christ fully kills it at his second coming. But in the meantime, you are to fuel your evangelism with love for God and love for neighbor by abiding in the light. Just as you walk out in a warm day and you feel the warm rays on your face, and you just bask in it at times. I pray that's what we would do. That we go out and share this truth boldly. That you wouldn't just hear another sermon about sharing the gospel, about evangelism, about duty, but that it would truly be assimilated into your life. That you would start building practical things like that framework of the three gospel, the gospel in three words. I want to give you one practical step to go out with this week. One practical step that has two parts. To be intentional is the practical step. First and foremost, write out what your conversation starter would be. If it's the three word from Packer, steal it. Good artists create, better artists steal. And finally, the second practical step, write out at least one name of someone that you'll share with your DNA this week or your MC as we launch back into them of whom you're going to share the gospel with. In this city, if we hope to be everything as the Branch Church Milledgeville, the Lord desires us to be, which I believe we as elders see, the Lord greatly desires for us to be in this city as a light to reflect his light. It starts with faithfulness. The entirety of this body and if you get it, man, I'd encourage you, drop that in Slack. Encourage a brother and sister. If you haven't done it, if you chickened out, put that in Slack too. Tell someone. Be accountable. Walk the walk of faith together as a church and shine the light together. Sound good? Let's go. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. That we... are adopted as true children of God, true believers. That what we witness to is not of ourselves, it's not false testimony, but it's of you. That you are the true light of the world and in you there is no darkness, there's no shifting of shadow, changing or fleeting, you're 
resolute and concrete. Would you strengthen us as we go out in our gospel witness this week? If there's anything preventing us from going out in that gospel weakness, I pray that we would deal with it even today before we partake in your supper. Father, would you keep us? Would you keep us in your light? Would you keep us in your gospel? All for your glory's sake, we pray and ask. Amen.